Welcome to Flowcast. I'm Sister Beth Murphy, your host. Today, we're talking about news literacy with journalists Lisa Richardson and Marcella Bayetto. Lisa is a veteran print and digital journalist with years of experience copy editing, leading teams of journalists, and making decisions about what news gets covered. She spent many years at the Indianapolis Star before coming to Springfield in December 2019 as the executive editor of the State Journal Register. Lisa attended Ball State School of Journalism in her home state of Indiana and was recently inducted into the Indiana Journalism Hall of Fame. Congratulations on that and welcome, Lisa. Thank you. Pleasure to be here with you today. Marcella Bayetto honed her TV news skills reporting on minority communities, immigration reform, and border issues in Arizona while a student at Arizona State University's Cronkite School of Journalism. She graduated summa cum laude from ASU in 2020. As an intern at New York's NBC affiliate, she was on the front lines of breaking news like Hurricane Florence and Justice Brett Kavanaugh's hearings. When we recorded this Flowcast episode, Marcella was reporting for WICS News Channel 20 in Springfield. Since then, she has moved on to the CBS affiliate in Philadelphia. Welcome to you, Marcella. Thank you so much for having me. I'm excited. The motto of the Order of Preachers, or the Dominicans, is veritas. That means truth. And for that reason, if for no other, we Dominicans are naturally interested in understanding the complexities of plowing through the massive amounts of information that come at us every day. From the minute we wake up in the morning until our heads hit the pillow at night, aren't we just bathed in information? It's so easy to let that wash over us without paying attention. And when we do that, we can sometimes unwittingly pass along false, provocative, or misleading information to others. Today, our Flowcast guests will help us sort through the difference between reliable, trustworthy, and unbiased sources of news and everything else. I will invite Lisa to start our conversation. Anna, how did you decide on a career in journalism, Lisa? I'm always fascinated by that. You know, it's like uh, many journalists that started very early as a, a high school student, you know, being involved in journalism programs there. And then when it came time for me to determine what I wanted to do um, as a profession, determine a, a major, uh, journalism made sense. And it was something I was passionate about. Um, so uh, that's how it started. Good for you. That's a wonderful story. So you've been a reporter since you were a teenager then, huh? <laughs> I have. You know, one of the things that uh, I, uh, my uh, high school journalism teacher went on to be a provost and a university president and such. And one of the things that I always ask her is, you know, out of all your students, uh, did you expect me to be the journalist? And she said, Absolutely, because you always wanted to know what was going on and you were always involved in in uh, whatever was happening. And so she was not surprised at all, even though I didn't see it for myself. There you go. So teenage curiosity was your way into the career. How about you, Marcella? Yeah, I mean, I have a really similar way of, of getting started, too. I started it 
I think I was 14, I was writing for a local magazine that was sent out to every house in the zip code back home in, in Anthem, Arizona. And uh, it just kind of started from there. I really loved school just because there was an aspect of learning something new every day. Um, and I kind of wanted to find a career that combined that. So, I mean, every day I walk into the newsroom and I have no idea what I'm going to do. But by, you know, 9 p.m., I have a, a better handle of it. And it always turns out super exciting and, and something that I get to learn. So that's kind of what started. But yeah, I was uh, same boat. I was in, a teenager in high school doing it. So I have to fess up and um, confess my age a little bit, but I was a, a Watergate journalism student. It, it was watching Bob Woodward and Carl Bernstein that got me hooked when I went off to college. And I wonder if you have any experience or story that you can share about how misinformation or disinformation or fake news has impacted you either professionally or personally. Uh, Marcella, why don't you take that one. You have a yeah. story to hear about that. Um, you know, surprisingly, this is something we started dealing with a lot during the pandemic. I started right at the beginning, and I think everyone had a lot more time to be isolated, alone, and on the internet, right? Just going through the black holes of, of what Facebook and other social medias kind of give off. So um, something that we actually did was, uh, you know, we were getting a lot of press releases from local districts, local law enforcement agencies about some of these TikTok trends that were going super viral, apparently about students doing these challenges like pranking their teachers or vandalizing school property. Um, and I live on TikTok. I've been on TikTok ever since it started and I had never seen any of these trends before. And I'm like, oh, that's kind of interesting. I just haven't really seen that. Um, and it came out that um, Facebook actually hired a marketing firm in order to create these challenges that weren't necessarily that viral, but they were sending them out to local media to kind of drum up some attention for the app. Um, and that was something that, you know, we reported on, but also something that we had to take some time as a newsroom to, to talk about and be like, okay, you know, just because some official or some sort of entity comes to you with something, you know, there's verification processes in place to make sure that this is verified information, that this is truly a challenge, that this is truly something that these local districts are dealing with rather than something that's being pushed just for a marketing stunt. So that's something that we dealt with. Another recent thing um, during the pandemic especially was um, I asked our IT department to get the news tips line wired to my desk at work so that any viewer that has any suggestions, feedback, nice or not so nice, I get to hear it. Um, and so I always answer the phones. I'm like, News Channel 20, how can we help you? And, um, you know, there was a viewer that was very, very passionate um, and uh, was claiming that we were hiding information about some political story that we had done. I don't even remember because there's so much, this happens so often. And, um, you know, I told him, okay, sir, like, just calm down. Where are you getting this information? Oh, Facebook. Okay, so can you send me the link to where you're getting this information? Sends me the link through through uh, email, and I, you know, pretty much walked him through and showed him that this was essentially a Facebook page that was backed by a misinformation group abroad, and you could see it in their about page. It's listed on this website, and I'm like, see, like I'm. You know, there's a way that we're sharing information, but we also have to be very cognizant of the fact that um, it might not all be true. Um, and so that those are just some some examples off the cuff that, that we deal with a lot. 
Yes, and I'm glad to hear that you are dealing with it. Um, mm -hmm. And I know a newsroom works at a pretty fast pace. Um, I want to hear Lisa's story, and then I think we'll dig into that whole question because that comes down to media literacy, people knowing how to, I will say, read uh, whether information is accurate or not and how to tell. But Lisa, let's hear um, maybe a story or an example that you have about disinformation or fake news. You know, I really don't have a really good example of disinformation because I think that um, what we've tried to do is to make sure that you know, the information that we put out there that we vet it, um, uh, you know, the information that we get from various sources, uh, we just don't rely on that one source for uh, telling us what's happening or uh, commenting on a controversy or whatever, um, that we use multiple sources. And I think that's what um, the consumer needs to be aware of too, is to make sure that they, when they consume the news that they're um, looking for multiple sources in uh, a broadcast or a story that they're reading, that it's not just a one source um, type of uh, uh, story. Um, so that that's what I uh, look for and that's what I, I hope that the consumer uh, would do the same thing, um, is to know that you want more than one source. Mm -hmm. So as an editor, um, you work with a lot of journalists and help direct um, their reporting work for anything that ends up in the newspaper, correct? Absolutely. So what kind of advice are you giving your journalists? Like maybe you've got a, a you know, a brand new uh, student journalist or an intern who needs a little more guidance than someone else. What are you telling those people? It depends on uh, the story. But the one thing that I, the one thing that I say all the time is that, you know, there are uh, circles of information. You know, you've got your primary sources and then you've got your secondary sources and then you kind of have a circle around those folks and then you have the tentacles that go or the spokes that go out from there and that we need to make sure that we are not only dealing with the primary sources, even if it's, if it's um, information that you might not even use in your, your stories, but it's background information for your own uh, knowledge, is that we need to make sure that we also uh, go out to those spokes and those uh, folks to make sure that we get um, the right uh, information or the correct information and that we have all of our bases covered. You know, I think more and more, I, I used to say that it was a harder job for television journalists because a story that a print reporter might be able to do in, you know, 3,000 words, uh, a television reporter has to do in 30 seconds sometimes. But I think that even that is changing with the pressure, pressures that, that all journalists are facing and this whole multi-platform thing that you're dealing with. Um, so what pressures do you feel in regard to that when it comes to making decisions about what gets in the paper or what gets on air? Um, Lisa, you want to answer that? You know, uh, obviously we cover the news, the, the news, the day-to-day -day happenings of uh, what's going on in a community, but, but, um, we also look to those topics that 
people are engaging, what the people that people have interest in. Um, you know, it used to be a long time ago that we fed people the news. You know, you know, we would say that a a, um, a meeting that might be incremental step that people needed to know about that. You know, but what we found, uh, you know, is with newspapers, you can't really. Uh, gauge what people are reading or, or what they really wanted. Did they really want that incremental step or not? But with digital, you can gauge that. And what we found is that that incremental reporting is not something that people really want to engage with. That they want to know the impacts of what's going on with government or whatever, or they want to know what's going on in a community, things to do, that sort of thing. And so that's how we're able to determine um, uh, what we cover because we can, we can measure it. We can, we can see what you're engaging with um, and the things that you're not engaging with, you know, we want to cut back on. Uh, and that's one of the beautiful things of uh, this electronic media that we have. And as far as multi-platform, it's kind of, um, I don't want to say that it's even the field for us, but at least it's op opened the opportunities for us to do um, more reporting in different ways, in uh, ways that people will engage with, from video to, um, you know, interactives and that sort of thing. So, Do you ever mourn? the loss of some of the more in-depth and analytical reporting because people aren't reading it and you think they, you know, sort of like your mother, she's going to tell you to eat your vegetables. Mm -hmm. Sometimes I think that's a role that journalists feed. People may not want to read a particular story, but it might be in the best interests of the common good or of the, of the community. I still think that we do analytical and in-depth reporting. I don't think that you, um, you know, let that disappear. I think that we do it in a smarter way um, so that um, people are more willing to read it. Um, so I don't, I don't think that we dismiss that at all. I, that's part of our responsibility is to ask the hard questions, hold people accountable. Uh, and sometimes that takes an analytical look or a more in-depth look. Um, so we don't we don't uh, dismiss that. Okay, or, so or shirk that responsibility. So you are just getting smarter about the way you um, disguise those vegetables for your reader, <laughs> <laughs> or present it, or as I say, um, present it in a. Um, in a, uh, a way that uh, is more engaging. And like I said, using visuals, video, uh, interactives, you know, all those things that, you know, that touch all many of our senses, more than one mm -hmm. sense, mm -hmm. you know, so. You that's know, true. Yeah. That's so. true. So I want to ask Marcella this question. Um, when I was a young journalism student, it was obvious to me that there are different kinds of journalism and that it was easy for me to spot that in all of my life since I studied journalism that's been easy for me I know the difference between a straight news story a letter to the editor an op-ed piece um, in-depth analysis but as I travel through the world I find that there are lots of people who do not know how to distinguish between those things 
And I think it becomes even more difficult when television or streaming video uh, are the norms. Do you have any tips that you would could share with our listeners to know how to make those distinctions? For sure. I think television is a lot harder to disseminate what's opinion-based, what is factual-based. Is this a talk show? Are you just a host? What's going on, really? Um, you know, we see the birth of the 24-7 cable news networks. That was what you really saw a lot of this opinion-based and more hosting the news rather than being a journalist really come about in the popularization of that, Um, which, you know, I think has some pros and cons to it. It it disseminates a lot more information, um, but also it confuses people, to be honest. Um, I think a lot of people might see some of those um, shows and really actually think that, you know, this is um, something that was, was done with with all the processes that we do here locally. Um, but sometimes it's just different. Sometimes they're just talking about a topic and it's it's just to hear from perspectives. It's not necessarily this analytical, like um, we were saying before, this reporting that, that has done a lot of um, research beforehand. But I think, you know, some tips for, for news consumers out there is just to realize that local journalists are the backbone of a lot of these national outlets. Um, and if you understand that and you understand the importance that local journalists have in the grand scheme of things, I think it provides a better understanding for the news consumer to really understand how we get the news and how it works. Um, And I think if you focus more on local outlets, um, you're going to probably get a more closer connection with the journalist that's that's actually reporting because you have to keep in mind too i when i go out on stories these are issues that i am also dealing with because i live in this community with you i get frustrated with the same things that you guys do um and that story ideas come in you know i deal with that as well and it's i feel like i have a greater connection and more of a responsibility to do my due diligence to make sure that these solutions are coming and being surfaced and that I'm finding answers for people because, you know, selfishly, I actually want to know too. Um, And so that's something that I think people need to keep in mind. My first thing would be focus on local outlets, find some that speak to you, find specific journalists that you really, really like and follow and respect what they're doing. Um, And then go from there, you know, who do they watch or or who are they sharing on social media, right? Something like that. And and make sure that this is coming from a plethora of of reputable sources. You don't want to just go to one place. Um, uh, And so I I try all the time. I watch different newscasts all the time, partly because I'm just a nerd about it, but also because I think it's so helpful to, to provide my own perspective and then shape some, just shape my own. I think that's a, a, an excellent tip to read a variety and read and listen to a variety of sources and journalists, because when you do that, you you get to see how their bias is revealed. And there's no such thing as completely unbiased reporting. I mean, it that just does not exist. But as a news consumer, you can understand what that is. And then you just take that into consideration when you're reading and consuming news, right? You 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 know um, which direction a particular newspaper, radio, or television station leans, and you consider that as you're consuming news from that site and take it all in as information. You know, um, Lisa, how is that different 
in a print or online based, um, basically print media, you know, is it easier for people to make the distinction between opinion and news? I think so, because we label it. Uh, we, we label it opinion, even on our website. We uh, have uh, opinion labeled, and, uh, and then certainly on the opinion page, we uh, uh, say this is opinion. Um, but, um, you know, our, our goal every single day is to present all sides of our coverage and that certainly, you know, everyone brings their experiences to work every day. Um, but our goal is to make sure that we stay neutral in our reporting. Um, so, um, and not to let any of those biases um, leak into the news report. Um, so, uh, and that opinion stays on opinion. Yes, and there's that that wall between the uh, the editorial and the reporting sections of the newspaper. Generally, those staff people are not the same, and they're not communicating with each other. And there's exactly. a reason for that. Yeah, exactly. Mm -hmm. um, exactly. I appreciate that very much, and I'm I'm I I am thinking about something that happens to me often. So. I uh, am a Dominican sister who um, works at our mother house where we have 80 or so older women. And when I get in conversations with them about news and I'll say, well, what, where did that come from? They'll say, I read it on my, let's say, Yahoo News. Okay. So it's my constant effort to get them to tell me, yes, but Yahoo didn't produce that news necessarily, and most often didn't. I'll say someone else produced that story, and that's what I'm asking you. What was the original source of the story? And most often they have no idea. So um, that's, if it's a challenge for our sisters who are very well educated, it's a challenge for so many other people too, right? So how do, do you have any tips for helping people who are looking at news, opinion, and analysis online? How can they, like, what should they look for on the screen, quite literally, um, in order to understand the source of what they're reading? Do you have any, either one of you can? Well, I think that with most, you know, Yahoo News, just like Apple News, are aggregators of, you know, all kinds of uh, news coverage. And in most cases, it says where, who the reporter is or what the news source is. Uh, so that's one level of knowing, you know, the news source that this came from the Wall Street Journal or this came from the SJR, you know. Um, and then the other level is um, knowing the sources that they're using to tell the story. So... Uh, that's how you go deeper in understanding where um, the, um, the information is coming from. You know, because if you know that the Wall Street Journal is uh, the um, news organization that produces, you know that they are a niche publication, that their niche is business news. 
And, you know, some will say that um, they, um, um, uh, that they're, that they look at um, that coverage from a more conservative uh, bent. So you know that going in, not to say that it's not credible information, um, but you know the source of it right away. Yes, and that's what I was alluding to earlier, right? That that knowing the source, even knowing the reporter, you know, when I become familiar with a reporter's name and I become be, begin to be aware of their own background, their own passions, I will pay more attention to a reporter that I know has an expertise in a topic I'm really interested in. And that helps a lot. It gives you a, a level of comfort. But if you see the name of a news outlet that you do not recognize, and it's not exactly clear who their sources are or who they're connected to, should that send your little antennas up? Absolutely. Absolutely should send the antenna up. And then if the, the sources within the story are unfamiliar, it's another red flag. Mm-hmm. Right. And that goes for both local and national and global news, correct? Yeah. I think that is a great tip. Can Marcella, can you think of any other like really practical thing that we could tell our listeners about what they should be watching for when they're consuming news, especially if they're getting it from their social media feeds? What should mm-hmm. they look for? No, I think that's a that's a good question. I think Whenever you're seeing something posted by like a Facebook page that doesn't look super reputable, you know, just be on high alert. But something that I love doing um, is teaching people how to be a journalist, because essentially we all have platforms nowadays where we have some sort of audience, whether it's big or small on social media, where I think we all in some capacity have a responsibility to share and disseminate information and capture it um, ethically and correctly to an extent, right? Some more than others, like my platform, I feel like I have a little bit more responsibility than, than maybe somebody um, like my neighbor or something. But I think there are some easy ways to, to kind of follow what we do to verify sources as well. You know, if you're looking at an article online, whether it's one of mine or, or somebody else's, copy and paste one of the sources name into Google, see what they're connected to. What other boards are they a part of? Are they just with the hospital or, all, or are they also a trustee at a, at a township here locally? Or what are some other things that they're connected with that might piece together maybe their agenda or maybe why they're talking about this or not talking about this? Um, I think that's always a good idea. Also, you know, a quick social media search of those of those sources too. What if they're sharing you know, propaganda or some sort of, of, of story that might, you know, alter the way that their words are being taken in this article. Those are things that we try to do every time that I reach out to sources. I want to make sure that I'm speaking to people that are experts in the specific field that we're covering that day, but also um, can, can back it up with, um, you know, their knowledge and, and their background. So I think that's always a good idea. Just Google, be a little detective, put your detective hat on and just be aware of what's kind of going on because it's important stuff that's being Mm -hmm. talked about. And uh, why is it important that people have a little bit of um, knowledge about how to read the sources for their news, Lisa? What would you say is most important, especially in a community? I'm not talking about global news, but in a local community, Lisa, why is it important to you that your readers 
know how to make judgments about what they're reading in your paper? Well, I think it goes to, you know, just really having an understanding of the community and what's happening and who the decision makers are and why those decisions are being made the way that they are. Um, it's just being uh, knowledgeable of where you live and, you know, who's making decisions that impact your everyday life. Um, to me, that's why it's important because eventually, you know, it all comes back to what it means to you and your family, um, your neighbors. So. Looking out for the common good, good. Yeah, absolutely. and taking responsibility for the quality of life in our civic societies is not just the job of our elected officials or the journalists who serve us. That's a job that belongs to every one of us. And um, you two and all the other journalists that are hard at work out there are in some way a kind of front line for that. And um, we need to be able to trust that you are doing your work in order to trust the information that's coming to us. So it's, um, I used to tell journalists some years ago when I was doing a little bit more actually training of journalists and talking to journalists about covering religion news, I used to tell them that their vocation as journalists and mine as a Dominican sister are really not that different. That we're about trying to communicate the truth. And that is really a sacred trust. I'd like each of you to reflect, if you would, a little bit on how your own um, faith perspective or moral background has impacted the way you do your job. I think that you, 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 most of us get in this business because we expect to do good, that we expect to help people. And when I say help people, I mean help people understand the world in which they live. So I really think that it goes to as we mentioned before, looking out for the common good, being responsible for uh, making sure that the truth is told. It's that basic, you said it, it's making sure the truth is told. So that's very basic on my part, but it kind of is my North Star, if you will. That's kind of the basis of why I, I hope people are getting into this and why I have gone into it. And so many of my colleagues at the station have is, you know, I was, my parents instilled some hardcore moral values into me um, and made sure that I was taught that everyone deserves a chance to have a voice, to, to speak and to be heard. Um, and the importance of listening too, which I think, um, you know, we have to do every single day. I wish I, I had so much more time to interview people and really get into everything because I, I, I love doing that part of it. Um, but I, what is kind of guiding me through all of this is that we have a bigger purpose and it's not to be in front of the camera. It's not to get clicks. It's not to get views. It's to just be an honest person, lead with compassion and show the truth. That's all I want to do. And that's what I try to do every single day. Um, you know, there's hiccups along the way, but I think, 
um, you know, I, I always just try to remind myself that because I love this. It's such a passion. doesn't feel like I'm working any day. So I love it. Thank you so much to both of you. Thank you. My thanks to Lisa Richardson and Marcella Bietto. Uh, your commitment to your craft is so much needed in a media environment that just makes it too easy to create divisiveness and rancor. So I appreciate your sharing your passion for journalism with me and with our listeners today. Um, and I hope we get to meet in person sometime. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> Thank too. you. Thanks to both of you. Thank you for listening to Flowcast. I'm Sister Beth Murphy, your host. God bless you and have a wonderful day. Flowcast is engineered by Brandon Durham, made available to you through the marketing skills of Veronica Brown, and brought to you by the Dominican Sisters of Springfield, Illinois. Search for us using the handle at FlowcastListen and follow us on YouTube and Instagram. You can find a list of Lisa and Marcella's tips for savvy news consumers in the show notes at flowcastlisten.org. That's it for now. God bless. <laughs>